2: Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is one hundred percent free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are one week, well, eight days, because this is coming out on Thursday morning, from the Titans actually physically taking the practice field as training camp opens. We're going to get into uh, what we think are the biggest storylines heading into those practices. We'll also go through a list of Titans superlatives, and we're going to, for the second week in a row, play uh, our version of Where's Waldo, or uh, NBC's old show Where in the World is Matt Lauer. We're going to play Where in the World is Vic Beasley, who, as of us recording has neither reported to training camp nor opted out of the season. Uh, let's start with that, actually, because it's probably the most pressing uh, thing going on with the Titans right now. Will, y- you're pretty anti-Vic Beasley at this point, based on our conversations that we had before we recorded. Uh, wh- wh- where do y'all stand on this, and, and what do you think about this very absurd situation?
3: So, yeah, I'm not a big... Vic Beasley fan right now not because I don't like the fit like I think his role with the Tennessee Titans is he's going to take over Cam Wake's spot Wake was the designated pass rusher the only difference is now Vic Beasley comes in on on a one-year deal you hope he booms and then you hope he leaves and you get a compensatory pick and you know that works out for everybody but there's an idea that because the Titans made him their highest paid free agent and because His salary is similar to what Jarrell Casey's is. There's all these weird sort of ideas that are separate, but people are combining them into one narrative, which is he's crucial to the Titans' defense. I don't think that's true. Um, I think they think they would rather have somebody like that take some of the pressure off of Harold Landry on third downs. But, yeah, like my problem with Vic Beasley is at this point, um, for reasons I I won't go into because they're too technical – you basically have to weigh, would you rather have $10 million in cap space and a fourth round compensatory pick, or would you rather have Vic Beasley? And if he's already going to be eight days, nine days, 10 days, whenever he shows up, if he's already going to be that far behind of the training camp schedule, no telling what kind of shape he's in, whether he'll have to quarantine. We don't know any of that yet because he hadn't even taken his tests. So at this point, you're just hoping that he opts out and that he's no longer on the team. You know, that is an interesting point, Will, and that's what I
2: was thinking about today. Uh, it's, what, already been a week since he was supposed to report, and and because of that, he's going to be behind on the testing schedule, which, you know, I don't care so much about the classroom stuff because that's all they've been doing all off season. What concerns me is that they might be on the practice field and he's still – getting tested for the coronavirus.
4: Yeah, yeah, and he's going to get set back a good amount just because I mean the season's not that far away. It's a month away and like you said, like he needs to get in game shape first of all. He also has to do a 14-day quarantine, I assume. Uh he has to get up to speed with the entire defense which, you know, it, it sometimes is it's it's rather complicated especially because Uh, Vrabel, you know, likes his players to, to play a lot of different positions, alignments, uh, on the defensive line. So it's not going to be easy to just come in, uh, and and learn everything and then contribute. And, you know, I mean, there, there have been several reports about Beasley's work ethic, you know, what, what type of person he is with how much he really cares about, about the sport and all that. So like this is definitely concerning and, I, I don't know. I think Mike Rabel's statement today w- w- was was also concerning it, it just wasn't very reassuring. and I, I know we talked about this a little bit last week, but like if I were to bet, I would say that Vic Beasley doesn't even suit up for the Titans at any point uh,
3: there's there's another thing like financially that I want to talk about, which is um uh, over the cap posted this and I've, I've read it several times and it's really interesting to me uh, because we're in day eight, I believe, of COVID testing was Tuesday. So we'll be in nine. So it, it, after the sixth day, I'll, I'll read the direct quote uh, on the cap ramifications and how it's expensive for Beasley to miss time. It says, in addition, uh, Beasley, if he misses six or more days of training camp, can trigger a breach that can allow the Titans to begin the process of recovering part of his $6 million signing bonus. This is not mandatory, but it can be as high as 15% for the initial breach and 25% for the entire preseason. Uh, it says that would add up to $900,000 for the first breach, $60,000 a day thereafter, uh, and up to two and a, almost $2.5 million over the course of camp. And that's just his signing bonus. So... We're at the point now where we don't know what the deal is. We know that it's mandatory that he loses $50,000 a day for every day that he's missed. I don't know if that counts as soon as you get to camp to do your COVID test. Like, I don't know if that's day one. And then, even though it's a rest day, is the next day, day two. Like, I don't know that exactly, but he's going to lose at least $250,000. Like, that's a guarantee because you can't, this is not one of those things that you can it's not negotiable. It's mandatory through the new CBA because the C the players and you know, the teams wanted everybody in camps to get tested so that there's not any people coming in and contaminating entire teams. So like, this is not something that the coach can just wave away or that the I mean, this is a done deal. So at this point, like there's already money he's lost. We just don't know whether it's $250,000 or whether it's almost $400,000. Like, we don't we don't know where we're at in that process. And then, in addition to that, that money, he could already you know have lost nine hundred thousand dollars because the Titans could have told him, if you're not here by Monday, we're gonna hit you with this fifteen percent, and then uh, you know we'll deal with that later. But I mean, it, we don't we don't know what those conversations are like, mainly because we don't know if the coaches are having those conversations with him because. I mean, apparently they're barely talking to him at all. So that's that's a serious sort of thing that we're not talking about because even if he gets here, he's already not going to be getting paid what he thought he was going to. So that just feels like a bad working environment.
2: I sent someone a text today and said that they should take his fine money and start the Vic Beasley Memorial Scholarship Fund.
3: God. I mean, it's a good idea. It's what, for a good cause,
2: and it's like yeah. it's like we we, we we award this scholarship every year to one kid who has shown excellent work ethic and and a propensity <laughs> for being on time. <laughs> uh, that would you be You know, funny. If,
4: if he would if he would just come out and say, just opt out, just say like,
2: well, am so, going up, because you know, I don't want to play. And that's what's interesting is we're putting this out on Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. You may be listening to it later than that or, or right when it comes out, uh, but the opt-out deadline is today, Thursday, at 3 p.m. Central Time. So if that deadline comes to pass, and maybe when you're listening to this, it already has, then that's out the window, potentially.
4: Yeah, it, I mean, I definitely think it's a possibility. Uh, I don't know. If you opt out, is your contract like fully guaranteed? I, I don't know how... I I was talking
2: to someone today who made it sound like he might get two, three million out of it, but he certainly would not get the entire
4: deal. Uh, Probably, if he doesn't want to play, then that would probably make a lot of financial sense, but it doesn't seem like anything he's doing or has done over the past couple of years has really made much sense, so... I mean, well, we'll we'll see what happens. At that point, I'm just different on this entire situation.
2: Paul, Paul Koharski had a nice point today in something he wrote where he said because the contract, the, if the Titans just cut him, they have to pay him his guaranteed money. And so because <laughs> of that, he has all the leverage, really. I mean, if the Titans' attitude was we don't want him anymore, can't really do anything about it.
3: Well, I'm not 100% sure that's true. Like, you negotiate in good faith when you have a contract like this. If you give somebody a $6 million signing bonus and they don't show up and they don't communicate with you, I'm not 100%. I know for sure you can take away the money that he's owed, uh, that we talked about earlier, the $50,000 a day. But, I mean, you could definitely argue through some sort of arbitration or you could talk to the NFLPA and say, like, look, he's signed a deal with us. He's got no intentions of being here. He didn't communicate with us. We don't want him on our team because he may not have any options, and you know, we we basically signed an agreement that he would play this year. He didn't even show up to tell us he wasn't going to play. You know, yeah. We didn't I think
2: I think you're uh, probably right because thinking through this logically, like that's not how this works. Like you don't sign a one year contract and then don't show up and then make your money. Like that's not yeah. how. Right. This is. That there's no. Nowhere in the world does
4: that exist, where you just well, it's never happened before.
2: I mean, I I don't remember seeing a did not report list from training camp unless it was like a and like a very uh, clear holdout situation. Like Lawan might have been on the did not report, but no, he came to training camp. uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe Corey Davis, but he wasn't even under contract. That was the thing; is he
3: wanted his first contract, not a new one. So I I don't know that this has ever happened before just because it's such a unique situation Um, and also just because you don't you haven't heard from him. But, yeah, like it just imagine if this wasn't a covid year. So if somebody let's say that the Jets sign a quarterback to a 20 million dollar guaranteed deal and he just never shows up like, you know, uh, the, there is there's a no reason of the contract for at it. that point. Correct. Like he's not yeah, he like he can't just be like, Well you signed a contract, I'm not going to work. It's like you already paid me. It's like no, that's not how this works. Like you can show up fat and bad at your job, but you can't not show up at your job.
2: An advance yeah. is not a birthday present. Correct. I mean, it's yeah, there's got to be time. some
4: sort of legal process yeah, in, that, with, within contracts yeah, or I mean, within I NFL, can't, like I can't something.
2: But before we move on, I do want to say this, which I said to y'all a minute ago. I do think it's important to not lose sight of the fact that, despite how weird this is, and I'll, let me read the, I'll read the statement Mike Vrabel made too. Uh, but in spite of how weird this is, the Titans are still better with him. Like he's a good athlete on the edge that can get some sacks for them. So I don't think Titans fans need to be rooting for his demise. I think they'd be wise to be like, I hope this all works out. Uh, That's certainly where I stand on this in terms of that. Uh, Let's find Mike Vrabel's statement from today. Where is this thing? Here it is. Okay. He said, I know there's probably a lot of questions and concerns about Vic Beasley. I want to address where we are. We're excited to see him when he gets here. Again, he is not here now. Everybody else is. He's under contract. We expect him to be here. But again, we have reached out and have not had much conversation with him. We look forward to getting him in here and coaching him when he gets here, dot, dot, dot. And then uh, Teresa Walker said, uh, since John Robinson released his statement, have you been in contact with Vic? To which Vrabel responded, no, I have not.
4: That is uh, that is not very reassuring. And I think I'm starting to lean towards the side of Will where it's just like, I don't want okay. this guy on my football team at this point because, I mean, come on. Like, they're trying to reach out to you and you're not responding. And why can't you just say, like, I don't want to play? It's fine. It's fine. You're not like this this huge superstar that should have this type of leeway. Like, if this was anyone... Else in the league uh like a normal player or like a fringe roster player they're they're gone they're they're cut i don't know why he's getting he's an above
2: average he's an he's an above average player with plus athleticism that's what he is at this point
3: the weirdest thing to me is this is the perfect year it could have happened to him because all he has to do is say i'm gonna opt out like there, there's a get out of jail free card for him where he gets one hundred fifty thousand dollars and he doesn't have to play and he doesn't have to give anybody a reason why. Like,
2: well, well, if he if he opts out, he doesn't get the fine money back, from what I understand.
3: That's true. But if he if he just told them day one, like if he told them day one, he gets one hundred fifty thousand dollars and his contract is still like completely intact. There's nothing that can be touched in it. Like he's waited long enough. Where like like I said, you can. I mean. I don't know if there's legal precedent for it, but there's certainly an argument to be made that he operated in bad faith and that, you know, there's no reason for you to complete your contract. So, like, all he had to do was say, okay, I'm going to get out while the getting's good. I'm going to get my $150,000 and I'll figure something else out next year. Like, but to just not show up in a year where you're given that get out of jail free card is so strange to me. Yeah. I'm assuming
4: either his agent, like, gave him incredible advice or, like, made a contract where if he opts out of this, and they had they had some sort of foresight that all of this was going to happen, uh, and that if, if he opts out, he's going to make make a good amount of money or something. I don't know. I, I simply don't know how it works. But, like, if he felt this way back when he signed the contract, why did he sign the contract? If he didn't want to be here, why did he even sign the contract in the first place? Uh, so, so that kind of leads me to believe that that this whole uh, coronavirus situation is kind of at play. And I'm assuming he's just going to opt out. But this is, is he, is he really like a
2: diabetic man. or anything or like something where he's at risk.
1: I don't know I that I know about of. It.
3: it feels like that would have come out at some point in the last week that he high like, what is his agent doing? That's talking what, to I, his I, other client, John Robinson, for some reason, I <laughs> like at this point, like if you're the same, John Robinson,
4: same agent?
3: Yeah, if you're John Robinson, you've got to fire him. Like you've got to be like, I don't know, right. do like you lied <laughs> that, to one of awkward, us, and I don't know which man. one it is. But I mean,
2: <laughs> but like go. I, I said that last week. Like, I, I feel like the smart agent would be like, or, or tell Ian Rappaport. Like I said, tell Ian Rappaport, tell Adam Schefter, Jay Glazer, one of those guys, and be like. Vic is dealing with uh, personal matters right now. He hates that he's missing the time with his teammates, but he looks forward to when he's able to join them and to get to work and to get after the quarterback <laughs> for the Titans, you know, something like that. Not just yeah. silence. Yes.
3: Yeah, it's weird. Like it, it's such bad business to just say like, I mean, I don't know. It's we've, we've said it all already. I and mean, he's, He's got eight days to do something and to say, like, OK, we were trying to work on something. We've you know, somebody's sick, you know, had a funeral. He's afraid of covid. There's a million things you could say, but it just none of it's coming up. It's so weird to have silence like this for eight days.
2: Oh, man, we're going to be talking about this for years. I mean, this is weird. Um, it's
4: never happened before. Yeah, simply. It just has not happened.
2: Uh, I want to talk a little bit about a couple of positions that I think will be ripe uh, for some uh, position battles during training camp. Because when you look at the Titans roster, especially considering how little turnover they had from last year and how good they were last year, there's not a whole lot of like starting jobs up for grabs or position competitions in that sense. There are two positions I found as I was doing my 53-man roster projection a couple weeks ago that I think will have the most competition in terms of roster spots. Uh, The first of those is inside linebacker. And there's two reasons why I think there's going to be competition there. One is the Titans lost two of their guys, Wesley Woodyard and Darren Bates, both of whom were – very key on special teams, and Woodyard was a decent depth piece. He had his flaws being an older player, but he was a decent depth piece. And they really didn't do anything to replace the two of them. They did sign uh, DeZubnar, the linebacker who played for the Chargers last year, and he figures to be a uh, kind of the, the Darren Bates mold where he's mostly a special teams guy. But I don't see them entering the season with only four inside linebackers, one of whom isn't really a defensive player. He's more of a special teams only guy. So I think that opens the door for behind Evans, Brown, Long, and Dezubnar. Maybe an undrafted player or someone that we're not familiar with at the moment to make the cut.
4: Yeah, uh, David Long is obviously going to get a bigger role, which he kind of did towards the latter half of the season. He kind of phased out. Uh, Woodyard, just because Woodyard, you know, he really lost a step. Uh, David Long was, was young, you know, fresh legs. Uh, and he performed very well, especially when he had to fill in for Evans and Brown whenever they suffered a couple of injuries. I think they both missed a couple of games throughout the year. Uh, and, and Long filled in really well. So we're set w- within the first three. Uh, like you said, Zubnar, I think that's how you say his name, he's primarily a special teams guy. I don't know if he's honestly been in in too many games as an actual uh, inside linebacker. I I don't think he started any games,
0: Uh,
4: but I also could see Deandre Walker who didn't play at all last year. I think he's a guy who can actually play off ball if needed. And I could see him playing inside linebacker. I I know he's primarily an edge, uh, but he is rather fluid in space and especially at Georgia. Like he was pretty solid in coverage when he, whenever he was asked to do it. So and he's kind of smaller. He's more more in the mold, uh, at least from a body perspective, to an inside linebacker. So I could see him getting reps there for sure.
3: Yeah, I think the big undrafted free agent, like one of the few big undrafted free agents the Titans got was Kale Garrett from Missouri, which, I mean, as big as an undrafted free agent can get, like he's a pretty solid guy. Like, I mean, he's got a little bit of range. His instincts are really good. He can really like see things well. Um, he's almost like Will Compton, like, uh, which is kind of the standard way you describe a white linebacker, but um, <laughs> I actually don't know if he's white. I just, that's how he plays. He is. Mind. I checked. I think that would says something about me, I guess, but like he's, I, I mean, I, I liked him. Like I watched a couple of his games. Like I didn't dig too deep into him, but I mean, I thought he'd be interesting. Like, the The Walker thing is really interesting because that's kind of why the Giants drafted uh, Lorenzo Carter from Georgia, the edge slash linebacker, the year before, because he could kind of play multiple places and they wanted to move around him and all that. And then I think uh, the Bears' first round pick uh, forever ago when they tried to draft Conklin and couldn't, like he did the same thing and he was a, an edge rusher from Georgia, so. I wonder if that is something they look at is just a hybrid because they've done that. I mean, I've seen them put Harold Landry in the back with other lineback off ball linebacker several times. And they did it with Sheree Finch the year before that. So I don't like it, but it does make sense if they want to kind of keep that bad scheme in place.
2: Yeah. I, th- I think you guys nailed it. I mean, it, it is a position. Well, I do want to say this. Will Compton's not good.
3: A fair well, point. It depends. On, it depends on what you ask. Like, I mean, are you asking for somebody who can play special teams and, you know, make tackles in the run game? Like, I mean, he's 30 years old. Like, he, he hasn't all been what he is today. So imagine him at four years old when he was, you know, starting with the Redskins or whatever. Like, I'm not saying he's going to blow you away, but if he's your fifth best linebacker, that's not a terrible yeah. place to be. Yeah. I will. Theoretically, I
2: was. I will say this. Um, you know, Shane Bowen did mention that at that position uh, special teams is probably going to be a pretty big factor as to who makes it especially considering who they're replacing
4: yeah the thing is like the you should be fine with the top three because it's very unlikely that both of your two of your top three inside linebackers get injured for you know multiple games I mean it could happen anything can happen in football but it's not very common. So, yeah, I, the, special, the best special teamer is going to be the fourth or the fifth uh, inside linebacker for sure. And maybe they bring in a free agent. I'm not sure who's still out there. I feel like you can find a decent special team inside linebacker
2: pretty much anywhere. Here's the so, thought. How about we, just bring Darren Bates back? Is he a free He didn't sign anywhere? Not that I'm aware of
3: very few of the people that the Titans let go signed anywhere.
4: Dude, you're right. He's a free agent. That's weird. Why didn't they bring him back?
3: I don't know. Like same reason. I mean, again, like the same reason they didn't bring Will Compton back, which is just like, I don't think they want to pay a million dollars for a special team guy when they can get him for the undrafted free agent salary. Like, I think that's just kind of in their head. Like, let young guys play those positions and then add maybe one or two special teams, like, specific guys, and then let everything else sort itself out. I don't know why they added Zubnar over yeah. him yet. Yeah. Like, that that was a weird thing to me. Yeah, especially because Bates, like, he's a high-character guy, you know? He has
4: a really infectious personality. He's always jumping on the sideline and stuff. That's the kind of guy you want for special teams. I don't know how the Zubnar is, but I, I don't know. I feel like you would go with a guy you're comfortable with there, but clearly they weren't pleased with his performance or with his riffs with Paul Kuharski, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, his, <laughs>
3: his the, music related. Well,
2: well, and to continue the special teams conversation, the other position that I had down as one where I think there's going to be competition for the back end is defensive back, that including safety and corner because it's to the point where they're all really good at special teams, and they all have an argument to stick. I mean, I'll just list some guys that are going to be fighting for a spot: Ty Smith, uh, Joshua Kalu, Chris Milton, Chris Jackson, the seventh-round draft pick that the Titans had this year. Uh, I feel like I'm missing someone already. Just uh, you know, Dane Cruikshank, he I mean, I would be shocked if he's <coughs> on the team. Uh, but they just have so many of those really good quality special teams guys at the back end of that defensive back core that the size of your roster is going to mean you just can't keep them all.
4: Yeah, no, there's there's a serious logjam at the cornerback position. I, I think it's safety. But, you know It's kind of set with Krupschenk and Hooker, uh, the two guys behind Vaccaro and Bayard. I'm not sure who Ibrahim Campbell is, to be honest with you. Uh, so I don't think Ibrahim <laughs> Campbell? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going to threaten the anything. Ibrahim. But how many – I mean, there are like nine cornerbacks on the roster. And we've talked about this in the past. Uh, and, and with the coronavirus situation, I, I think he has a better chance of making the roster. I'm talking about Jonathan Joseph. But I, we've talked about it. Like, I don't know if you don't play special teams, whether – you're, you're going to make the team because like Josh, Joshua kalu's going to make the team. He had like two block field goals maybe, or at least one last year. He's a core special teams player. I would, uh, I would we be about...
2: shocked if he's not on the team. He's
4: so good
2: yeah. at special right. teams. Yeah, yeah.
4: And then so was Chris Melton, who we we praised yeah. last year because he was so good uh, on kick coverage, punt return coverage, stuff like that. So I don't know, man, like, If they feel Fulton is up to speed, I don't know how you keep Jonathan Joseph unless he's playing special teams. I really don't.
2: You know, I was thinking that same thing when I was making my 53-man roster projection. If you hear me clicking, I'm I'm pulling it up right now just so that I can remember who I had on there.
4: Um, Ty Smith is also there. Ty Smith has always played well whenever he's been given the chance.
2: And he forced a ton of fumbles last year. Yeah, I mean, I remember yeah, Logan Ryan like, talking seven. about like spending time with Ty Smith after practice to learn how to force fumbles.
3: Let's see. So yeah, he, and that was you. You remember that because that was in the Indianapolis Colts game, right? Because where he nearly intercepted a field goal, or where Krukshank nearly intercepted yeah. a field goal. Yeah, like, and I think uh, Logan Ryan had that forced fumble, and then. Uh, he was asked about it, and he said that about Ty Smith. Like, I mean, Ty Smith's a pretty well-respected guy on top of being a good special teams player. So
2: I had them keeping 11 defensive backs, and here they are. So here are the non-special teams guys, the starters. Butler, Fulton, Jackson, Bayard, Vaccaro, Hooker. I'll throw him in that category. And then here, here's then there's Jonathan Joseph. I did have him in the fold. And then for the four special teams guys, I have Cruikshank, Kalou, Ty Smith and Chris Milton and I had Chris Jackson the 7th round draft pick on the outside looking in.
1: I don't I
4: don't think Chris Jackson's making the team like
2: I don't know anything about him. I'd rather have all of those guys than him. Granted, I've never watched the guy play a snap, but
4: not I haven't either, but like it's very it's not very common for a 6th 7th round pick to actually make the team. Like usually they're going on practice squad. So, that's probably where he's going to end up. Uh, But I don't know how many cornerbacks they're going to carry. Like, I feel like we always say, like, they're going to carry a lot, but do they? No, they do usually carry a lot, actually. I I don't know.
3: I bet they keep – You're thinking of receiver. I'm thinking of receiver, yeah. I'm thinking of receiver. Um, I bet they cut Ty Smith or Chris Milton, uh, and I bet they put him on practice squad, and they keep Chris Jackson.
2: I would put Jackson on the practice squad, and I I doubt – but you can't put Ty Smith on the practice squad.
3: Yeah, you can. Uh, the new rule says you can put him. Yeah, it says it says it doesn't matter this year. You can put him in regard. You can put six players regardless of age or experience on the practice squad. So
2: they could put Jonathan Joseph what? on the
3: practice squad. They they could put Tom Brady on the practice squad. I didn't. You can put know. Anybody that on the practice. Squad. Is that because of the yeah, virus? I just, I just saw it today. Uh, Yeah, it was in the new CBA. I wrote a whole thing about it today about how it's a massive loophole in this thing and how somebody like the Titans should definitely abuse it.
2: Like, theoretically,
3: the Titans could go out and they could sign Cameron Wake, Delaney Walker. Basically, anybody who's not drawing a paycheck right now, they could sign them to a practice squad deal. You can protect up to four of those guys so they can't be signed to other rosters, and you get to pick those four every Tuesday. So you could pick those guys and say, look, you can't sign them off our roster. But if you tell us how much you want to pay them, we'll act as intermediaries. We'll sign them to a deal. We'll cut one of our other guys and then we'll bring them up to the active roster and then we'll trade you, you know, Delaney Walker for a seventh round pick like that. Theoretically, all that is legal now. So you can, if there's any of these guys like Chris Milton, who is still a free agent, like after the draft or before the draft, one of the two. Like you can still cut one of those guys and then sign up, quote unquote, sign him to the practice squad and then just elevate him if you ever need to. That way you don't expose a rookie who, you know, there might have been a team in the seventh round who wanted him, who didn't have a seventh round pick. And, you know, now they're like, well, we had, a, you know, we had a grade on him. We're a terrible team. We're the Jets. You know, might as well sign him like that way. You don't lose your young prospect. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's it's it is. Shocking that nobody has abused it yet. I didn't even know I didn't even know about it until I started looking into it today.
4: I mean, I feel like that's gonna be Joseph at some point. He'll be on the practice squad at some he point. He wasn't
2: good so, last year. Or the yeah, year before I know. that.
4: Right. Yeah. Obviously we got him for a reason. So that's what I'm really saying. That's what I'm saying.
2: I don't understand why he's on the team.
4: I don't either. Listen, I've been I've been kind of killing him ever since we signed him. I didn't want him, but he's going to be, well, I don't know if he's going to be on the team. He might get cut, but with this practice squad thing that will just said uh I mean, I could see him being demoted to the practice squad and just being there all season just in case we need another body, veteran body.
3: Yeah, I mean the the whole thing is like you have him because you think you're not going to ask your cornerbacks to do much this season which is true like the titans really don't ask their corners to do i mean third and 12 they're not sticking those guys in man coverage and blitzing like they're dropping everybody they're you know rushing three and then that you know they're letting you pass over the middle and hopefully tackling you like there's not a lot of tough assignments for the corners just because the titans aren't very aggressive so if you're going to play like a lot of coverage, a lot of soft stuff, a lot of bend don't break, then I mean, Joseph's not the worst possible answer, but at the same time, like, I mean, that there was no way when we signed him that I thought he was anything other than a ploy to get Jadavian Clowney to sign too. Cause they're supposedly close. <laughs> and because Joseph had worked with Frable and he'd worked with midget, the defensive backs coach. And it was just a, you know, a situation where it was like, Hey, let's, you know, let's all get rich together. But it doesn't seem like that's the case now, so I don't really understand it.
2: Okay, we are going to take a quick commercial break. When we get back after 30 seconds, we are going to do our Titans Superlative Lists. Uh, I think it's going to be fun, so stay tuned for that. Okay, we are back, and we are going to do our Titans Superlative Lists. So, you guys, I see it on Twitter every year about this time, where... People will put out a list and it'll be things like, you know, player most likely to eat a hot dog, you know, player most likely to eat a hamburger, you know, and it's a list of things, obviously, you know, football related and people want fans to fill them out. So I thought it'd be fun if we did one of those on this episode as training camp is opening. I have some categories written down and we'll just go through the various superlatives and talk about who we think we would put in the categories. And if you would and you're listening uh, get at us at No Nonsense Pod on Twitter or on Facebook at No Nonsense Pod and let us know who you would choose for these categories because I'm really interested to see not only who the three of us pick, but also who you all who are listening would have to pick. Okay, first one most likely to break out in 2020.
4: That one's easy. I mean, it's Cam Batson for sure, right? Well, no, I'm <laughs> For sure, right. yeah. We've yeah. been
2: waiting for two years.
4: Let, let me be serious. Uh, can it be a rookie? Because, actually, no, yeah. never mind. It, I, it's Jonu. It's Jonu for me. He kind of had a mini breakout last year when Delaney went down. But I think if he gets more targets and is a little more involved in the passing game, he could put up, like, top 10, top eight tight end numbers pretty much across the board because he's just that good athletically and his after-the-catch ability is is second to none. I mean, the only, the only tight end with, a, with better uh, after-the-catch ability is probably George Kittle, and I can't really
3: think of anyone else. Yeah, that's solid. Um, do you want me to guess yours, Luke? Because I think I know who you're going to say.
2: Um, uh, I actually don't have. I'm still thinking. I, I I'm pretty sure oh, I know okay. who I'm gonna pick. But go ahead. Okay. Well, I'm
3: I'm gonna pick somebody else. Uh, first because I've written a thousand things about him, um, and it's not Corey Davis or Harold Harold Landry, which may surprise you, but it's Jeffrey Simmons who just should absolutely be a monster this year. Like, I, I don't I don't know how he doesn't end up as one of the best twelve defensive tackles in the league. Like. He's overwhelmingly powerful. He's really long. He's athletic. He basically outworked guys on one leg without knowing the defensive play calls or the playbook, you know, with no practice reps last year. And this year he's already been in the facility for weeks because they were allowed to go in early, like people with injuries who were recovering, like he got on that list. So, I mean, there's nobody more well-versed in what the Titans are going to do defensively this year than Jeffrey Simmons right now. So, I mean, to me, he's the clear breakout candidate. Like, I mean, am, am I missing some sort of rule where, like, I wasn't supposed to say, like, defensive players or, like, <laughs> just like there's I mean, there's a guy who was dominant on one leg and bull rushed Quentin Nelson on his back. But I don't know. I'm just, I think, and this is coming from a guy who was not high on him pre draft. I mean, I just think, I mean, Albert Hainsworth is like, the reasonable limit for him, like he could be that next year.
2: So I've got mine. It's not Simmons. Uh, Will, who do you, who do you think it is? Rashawn Evans. That's it. Yep, <laughs> that's it. I love Rashawn Evans, uh, and he was good last year. But I think hearing him talk earlier on on Wednesday on the Zoom conference call, and just having watched him play for the last two years, I think he has the potential to be a really special player because of his traits and his personality. I I think that this is a year where he can step up and really solidify himself as a Swiss Army knife for this team, similar to Kevin Bayard where based on the matchup every week, they're going to be able to do a lot with him. It's year three, which it's the year where that usually happens. Uh, So, and I think, all the pieces can come together for Rashawn Evans to take a jump forward this year. Next up, I'll start. Oh, let's do a negative one. Most likely to be disappointing. Oh,
1: Hmm.
4: I feel like I know which one will is going to pick. <laughs> I
2: think I've got um, mine for me. It's,
4: I think it's going to be, nate davis for me because i know he improved a lot last year at at least in terms of run blocking his pass blocking left a lot to be desired and especially if will's boy isaiah wilson is right next to him i think i think he could like legitimately wreck the offense because his pass blocking is really that bad and unless it improves uh it really could hurt hurt the offense as a whole
3: yeah, shout out Isaiah Wilson uh, because he's my pick. So while we're talking yeah. about that, like, I mean, he and Nate Davis are like, it sounds it sounds so bad to say it like this, but they are massive liabilities. Like, if they if they aren't better, or at least if Nate Davis isn't consistently what he was at his best last year, I mean, I mean, I, I've said it before, I'm not high on... Isaiah Wilson, like uh, he was very fun to listen to on the podcast with Taylor LeWan and stuff. But I mean, he's just like, he's not very athletic. He, you know, he's sloppy a lot at Georgia. He kind of leans in when he's setting like guys beat him and he kind of like leans on him real hard and lunges and ends up on the ground. And most of the time they up- end up on the ground too. But there's also times where they're not and he's just laying on his stomach and there's a guy running past him, which is not great. Um, that usually doesn't translate well Like those bad habits don't translate well in the NFL It's what happened to Kaleche Osemele And, you know, he had to move inside to guard And he was a really good guard But he was a really bad tackle And I think that's kind of the path we're on Especially in a zone scheme Where you have to be athletic enough To either get outside somebody Or technical enough to know Okay, this guy's got me beat to the edge I need to get my hands inside and drive So, like, that's an entire side of the football That I'm very concerned about
2: my answer is Jeffrey Simmons. Now,
3: I do want to I want to qualify mm-hmm. this
2: by saying this. Mm-hmm. I think Jeffrey Simmons is going to be good this year. I think that the expectations are far too high for him. I mean, I understand that he was good last year and Will, you made a good point about how having limited practice time and and, and not understanding the playbook completely, he did what he did. That's great. I think some Titans fans have convinced themselves that he is going to become like vintage Jarrell Casey this year or, you know, in the Aaron Donald mold or something like that. And I just don't see it because what I saw at the end of last season was someone who can be disruptive. Like I I put him closer to a snacks Harrison, which again would be great but i think that expecting him to have you know 7 8 sacks and be this all pro type of guy is is just a bit too high so I, so when i say that he's going to be disappointing it's simply because the expectations are so sky high that i i just don't see eye to eye with that
4: i think that's fair although i think he's going to be a monster just because of what he showed in limited time last year coming off a torn ACL. And I think his potential, uh, at least from what I saw at Mississippi state and what I saw from last year, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets eight to 10 sacks. Like you said, you don't see him, but I mean, it's a personal, it's a personal viewpoint, you know? So I wouldn't be surprised really if he just takes a step back or doesn't take the step forward that we're imagining.
3: Yeah. Like, I think, I think it all kind of depends on what you're expecting from him. Like, I don't know that he'll ever necessarily be a guy who hits double digits. Like he might be a guy who is just really high consistently, but I mean, over the first like five years of Albert Haynes Haynesworth's career, he averaged like less than two sacks a season. Like, I mean, he, he made his money getting like eight tackles for loss a year and just being impossible to run against. And, i think there's not a lot of value in stopping the run in today's nfl but i think there's a lot of value in creating like tackles for loss and negative plays Uh, i think i think getting teams into negative game script and you know when they're down forcing them to pass and then when they do try to run just absolutely swallowing that up like i think there is some value in that uh so it, it, it's all on expectations. Like, he's he's not going to become Aaron Donald because Aaron Donald was Aaron Do- Donald in college. Like, he was really productive as a pass rusher. He was always a really good pass rusher. Like, that, that was never the doubt. Like, for Simmons, like, he's always been incredibly strong and impossible to run against. And then if you ever, you know, if you had a running back that was ever running to the outside and he had to stop his feet, he would be right there behind you like Mike Myers, like, just ready to, like... Kill you as soon as you got close. Like as soon as he could catch up to you, he was going to do something. So I think that's what I expect him to be. Like, there's going to be times where he pushes a center or a guard right into the quarterback's lap and either gets the sack or makes him throw a stupid pass. The first interception that Lamar Jackson threw last year in the playoffs against the Titans was when he got like an interior offensive lineman walked all the way back into him and he had to throw off his back foot and he sailed it to Kevin Byard. So like. He'll make a lot of plays that you don't necessarily see, but I think he'll have a lot of that same air that Albert Hainsworth did. Now, like you said, like if you're expecting him to be peak Albert Hainsworth, like eight and a half sack Albert Hainsworth, like all pro Hainsworth, like you you might not get that. Like that that if you that's your expectation, that's a pretty lofty expectation. So I can definitely see what you should going for there.
2: Next one up, most likely to be missed. This is a former Titans player you will be naming.
4: Hmm. It's just tough for me. Does anyone want to take it before I form it?
2: I think it's Casey. I think I think pretty soon into the season people are going to be wondering what in the world they did with that. Not not to say that the defensive line is going to be a travesty because they've got Simmons, they've got Jones, they've got Murchison. But I especially if Clowney doesn't play through, which I mean, we're a week away from practices at this point. What in the world is the guy waiting for? Uh, you know, Vic Beasley is up in the air. So you never have enough pass rushers, and they just may not have enough. And so you get this money, great, but they're not doing anything with it. I'm still scratching my head on that one with Duro Casey.
4: Okay. Uh, I have mine. I I actually agree. I think Casey will be missed, even though like I've been pretty negative on him the past couple of seasons. But I I do think we still need defensive line help, and I think he could have helped at least in some capacity. But mine is going to be a little bit surprising for those who know me. I think it's Tajay Sharp, and That's I have a good never one. been I have never been a fan of Tajay Sharp. Yeah, I thought he was okay as a rookie, but he's never really been this like. Efficient guy who always gets open. But I think we're going to miss having a fourth receiver who could actually catch the football in, you know, just on third down when you actually need the guy to catch the ball because he actually did that. He wasn't amazing at contested catch situations, but he had these games where he was just so reliable and would always come down with the passes that you needed him to get past the first down marker. And the Titans just don't have that type of receiver right now. We can we can hype up Khalif Raymond all we want, but he's a very specific type of player, and he's just not going to be uh, in the same mold as Tajay Sharp. Adam Humphreys can be, but he's a third receiver. And if one of these other guys goes down, you know, there's just not someone that I I look at and I'm like, he can replace the Sharp snaps. He can replace the Sharp production. He can replace the reliability. We just don't have that on the roster right now, and I think it might come back to haunt them if they don't if they don't look at free agency soon.
2: That is a great answer. I didn't even think of that one, but that that yes, very much so.
3: Will? Uh, yeah, that. I mean, just because you called it great, I'll say that was also my answer. But uh, guess, <laughs> like Mario. I mean, uh, yeah the easy which yeah that is true but uh the easy one i guess is jack conklin like it stability on the right side of the offensive line somebody who you could you know you could generally trust to play every game unless they had a freak acl injury and then you know then you then you can't but like for most of his career he was healthy he was smart technically efficient you know, he really held up well in pass protection. He was a good run blocker. Like, he was above average at everything, which at offensive tackle is really expensive and hard to find. So, you know, you you lose that, you know, one of your key positions on the offensive line in a year, a year after you had, you know, the best offense, basically in Titans slash Oilers history. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's very frustrating, and that's probably going to cause them the most pain. But, you know, you, you, there's also a really good case for Tajay Sharp.
2: Need, or, or I guess it's a superlative, so it has to start with most. Most needs to improve, or like the biggest need to improve.
4: Hmm. I'm going to say... I don't think this is a surprise for anyone who has watched the pod. We've had several debates over him, but I think it's Harold Landry just because That's mine. This yeah, no, this defense would just become so much better if he took that next step and became that perennial ten plus sack guy. But not even like more so than the numbers. I think just having a consistent impact on on the quarterback on providing pressures and stuff like that i just think it really transforms your defense and if he just got a little bit better it would you know they would really just change the entire dynamic of
3: of on the defense side of the ball it feels like y'all are texting each other and just trying to make me mad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> i was that that aside um I mean, I, I don't I don't want to say this because there's already so much negative publicity out there about him anyway, but I would say Dory Jackson just because it always hmm. seems like he has to have like six games where he makes a couple of bonehead mistakes or he, he, he basically is a perfect representation of the Titans, which is you talk about how good they were and how underrated they were for the entire offseason they come out and they disappoint you a little bit because of one or two really stupid things and then the rest of the season they're really really solid but i mean at this point in his career like he's he's about to get real like serious money like it's it's about time to make a long-term financial commitment to him and i like adoree jackson like you know coming out i thought he was more of a kick returner and a punt returner than a corner. And since then he's developed into a much better corner than a returner. And, you know, I, I respect that. I think he's got all the ability in the world. I think he needs to start making a few more plays like deflective passes are great. You know, breaking up a pass is always good. Tackling in the run game is always good and important. And he's good at all those things. But now's the time where you should be really set into, okay you know these are my defensive like these are the guys behind me at safety I've had him there for two years going on three like Malcolm Butler's opposite me I've had him for going on three years like it's time for me to settle in and know when it's time for me to take my chances and times for me to shoot and if I miss I know I have guys behind me and I know when the right time to do that is but it just doesn't feel like he's ever in position to make those big plays uh, it that's that's something I would like to see from him going forward but I mean, the The problem here is there's so many solid players on this team, and the places that aren't solid are filled with younger players. So, you know, if I if I wanted to see somebody who, if they're going to stay a Titan, they needed to step up, it would probably be a Dory Jackson. But I mean, uh, again, I don't want to put negative vibes out there. I like him a lot. It's just I I want him to take that next step that he looks like he's so close to making.
2: Okay. Well, when you said a Dory Jackson, I uh, I was like, what? But uh, very well explained. I, I totally get what you, where you went with that. Two more. Uh,
3: first up is most underappreciated Titan. Oh, let me go first. Uh, Harold Landry. So uh, <laughs> this is a perfect opportunity. Uh, so Harold Landry played... Uh, 95% of the snaps in the most important game of the season last year, uh, or I guess the most important good game of the season last year, which was the Ravens game where he was responsible for it. it, When you play edge against that offense, you have to be very precise because you can't rush too far upfield or else you get run underneath and you can't, I mean, you have to be so technically sound and you have to be able to read blocks of the offensive linemen it's, it's a very difficult thing to do, but Harold Landry did it well as he does everything. I mean, if you include the playoffs, he had 10 sacks last year. During the regular season, he had nine, and when the Titans had another competent edge rusher opposite him, he had seven sacks in nine games. So when he wasn't the only pass-rushing player on the field, he was incredibly productive. Um, he's one of the better run defenders I've seen come out With the label of not being a good run defender, like he's always really good at setting the edge. You know, he makes several, he led the team in tackles for loss last year. Uh, he was probably the most consistent player, uh, Daquan, like on the front line, with Daquan Jones being close, just because Jones kind of flashed because it's harder to flash when you're getting double teamed all the time, but you know Landry was pretty consistent and then there was I think six games in a row where he had a sack in every game so if you're going from a rotational player in year one and you get four and a half sacks and then you become a full-time starter in the next season and you get nine sacks and you lead your team in tackles for loss when you're really dropping into coverage a fair amount on third downs anyway like to me that's a pretty significant improvement and You know, if if he improves and takes it to that next level and gets double digit sacks in the regular season, that even that would be great. Like you know, everybody should be thrilled with that. But if he comes out and he he's the only pass rusher again on this team and he gets nine sacks, plays ninety five percent of the snaps, you know, does basically everything you want a guy to do, then you know that that's great. That's what gave Derek Morgan a career for, you know, ten years in the NFL. So. I'll take a guy who's Derek Morgan, but with more upside right now. Mine's a Dory Jackson.
2: I think that people confuse the punt returning too often with the defense because the punt returning is bad. It's real, real bad. But his corner play has been pretty consistently solid. Now, Will, you do have a point that it feels like every now and then there's a boneheaded mistake that we're talking about but he is very steady. I, I think that's the word to describe his play. You would think with his athleticism you would get some big-time plays and a lot more than what you maybe see on a highlight reel. Yes, but he is a very steady player. And when he's out there, you just don't really have to worry.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's the perfect representation of 9-7. and seven. He's really good and probably underrated, but... You know, still nine and seven.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair.
3: Yeah.
4: Yeah. So mine is Ben Jones actually, because
3: that's a good one.
4: I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of his uh, during the early parts of the season last year, but he was flanked by Roger Saffold to his left, who was horrendous for the first couple of weeks of the season, and to his right was Jameel Douglas, who we all know how bad he was while he was in there. And Ben Jones really suffered from that. But once the guys next to him started playing just a little bit better, he really shined and he completely fortified the offensive line. And the biggest reason for the Titans offensive resurgence, although, well, no, hold on. It was Tannehill coming in at quarterback, but secondary to that was the offensive line, you know, being fortified. And Ben Jones was at the center of that. And it's just huge for the offense when your center can control the entire game uh, and just, you know, makes everything solid within the offensive line. The running game is better. The passing game is better. Everything is in rhythm on offense. And I think it kind of goes underappreciated how good he really is.
2: Last one. Most valuable player.
4: Uh who's gonna be the most valuable yeah, player?
2: Yeah.
4: Who's gonna be Mine, the most Mine's easy. Player. I think it's
2: Derrick Henry because he was last year, and as good as Tannehill was and as good as I expect Tannehill to be, this team runs through Derrick Henry. And without him, they might still be good, but they're not gonna be nearly as good. And I mean nearly as good. He's the engine.
4: I I still think it's Tannehill just because this is such a uh, you know, past happy league and, and pass-driven league so i still think Tannehill is going to be the biggest factor I don't, I don't think henry's too far behind him uh but there are times where you know henry can kind of be taken out of the game it doesn't happen very often uh but it has happened in the past like like in the afc championship game for instance uh and i think when those games do happen Tannehill is more than adept at carrying the offense uh, which he did for the latter half of last season. And I do think he's going to continue that, uh, especially having more familiarity with it, with his receivers, uh, with his tight ends, and giving him a hopefully dynamic and efficient pass catching back in Darrington Evans.
3: I mean, this, this is maybe the most difficult question because we saw what the team looks like without Ryan Tannehill at quarterback last year, and it was two and four. And we saw what the team was like without Derrick Henry running back, which was Deion Lewis. So, you know, which one of those is worse? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess – the. I mean, I guess if you told me one of them was going to be gone for the season and one of them wasn't, I can see how the offense would produce with Tannehill – and not Derrick Henry, but I can't see how they would produce with Woodside at quarterback and Derrick Henry at at running back. Like I I think Tannehill is the right answer, but it's so hard to like vote against the guy who, like you said, is the entire engine of the offense. I mean, the most valuable person I, if I want to go different is Mike Vrabel. Like, he, You know, he's going to be the defensive co- defensive coordinator and head coach. And he's going to have a whole bunch of things he's got to juggle. So he's the person I'm most worried about. But the player that, you know, essentially will make or break the season, I, I, just, I guess I just have to lean towards positional value and go Tannehill. All
2: right, I think it's time to delve into stop the nonsense. That was fun. I, I enjoyed doing that. I always yeah. like doing it on Twitter, but it's fun to actually sit and get to uh... – Get to talk about it. So, yeah. uh, stop the nonsense. Who wants to go first? <laughs> no. I'll, I'll go. go first.
4: Okay. It's a it's a quick one, and hopefully you've seen the video, so you know what I'm talking about. But Russell Wilson is really bothering me, man. Like, I understand you have your own personality and whatever. But this guy is so weird and so corny. <laughs> he is like the cliche football guy who like always needs to have something to drive him. It's like the Michael the if you've seen the Michael Jordan documentary, it's like, yeah I, I took that personally. Russell Wilson is kind of that guy who just keeps, uh, you know, coming up with ways to motivate himself when there's not really anything to motivate him. And this video, this last one, where he's calling his alter ego mr unlimited oh sorry mr unlimited like that it is just <laughs> if you haven't seen this video man it is it is something to behold and it's cringeworthy it kind of reminds me of all the tiktokers out there all the young tiktokers who just keep dancing on the screen for no reason and people love it i don't know but russell wilson man just just take it down a notch, really. I, I, I don't know. We'll,
2: we'll make sure that scary. gets posted to our Twitter page so people know what we're talking about. Right? Cause yeah. We've all three yeah. seen the to video, and it is. Page. It's crazy. Um, it's, brutal. it's brutal. I'll go next. I saw this article today uh, posted in the New York, in the New York Post. Uh, the headline is Kelly Stafford, that being Matthew Stafford, Lions quarterback, his wife, loses her, fill in the blank, At the NFL for turning life, her life into a nightmare. And this is how the story starts. Uh, So uh, Matthew Stafford was placed on the COVID-19 list for the Lions because he got like a false positive test. But then they very quickly realized it was a false positive and took him off of the list. So it says, the NFL turned Kelly Stafford's life into a nightmare. Lions star quarterback Matthew Stafford was removed from the NFL's COVID-19 IR list on Tuesday, but not after a false positive test by the league turned his family's life upside down. The past four days have been somewhat of a nightmare, wrote Stafford's wife Kelly. We were all tested the day after, and we were all negative, including Matthew. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, So Kelly is an at-risk person because, as some of you probably know, she had like a brain tumor or something last year and had to be operated on. This is the quote that got me. She said, I have been losing my mind because of how my family has been treated since my husband was put on the COVID IR list. I imagine a lot of people in Detroit know who uh, Kelly Stafford is and, of course, know who her husband is. Even after we knew it was a false positive, I was approached in a grocery store, told I was endangering others. My kids were harassed and kicked off of a playground i was told i needed to wait in my car when picking up food and people closest to us had to get tested just so that they could go back to work and that's just to name a few things it's nonsense the way that we are treating this virus in some ways in this country do we need to be safe absolutely do we need to care absolutely do we need to harass people no and that's the thing I look forward to five years from now reading the scientific studies about how people felt about the AIDS-HIV epidemic when that happened versus this. Because what everyone talks about from the AIDS outbreak in the mid-'80s is how shameful it was to come out as being HIV-positive Because of the connotations that went with that and the community that people thought that meant you were a part of when obviously it did not. And these crazy people are turning the coronavirus into that. I had someone tell me it's like guilty until proven guilty, right? It's like we have to harass these people and shame them because if you have the virus, A, you must have done something wrong, but B... You are now trying to kill people willfully. And, and I'm not trying to be political, and I don't think I have been. I think this, is, this isn't politics. This is just logic speaking right here. Don't harass people because of the coronavirus. Don't harass people for any reason, but don't use this as an excuse to like let out our anger on people. I mean, goodness gracious. Am I out of line here for saying these things?
3: Absolutely. No. I can't believe you said all that. <laughs> no, I mean, people, people are crazy. Like, I mean, I think it's pretty commonly accepted knowledge that if you wear a mask, you're protecting the people around you and not yourself. So, you know, if anything, it's not really the people who are taking precautions that are getting sick most or like, sorry, the people that are taking precautions, you know, are the ones that are, almost more at risk of getting sick because you're doing the things you're supposed to, and nobody around you is. So, and not, not that that's the point of this, but it's just a misconception that fuels this kind of fire where it's like, Oh, well you wore a mask and now you're sick. It's like, yeah, like, you know, I wore a mask, but if you breathe in my face, you're sending your, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to get into the science too much, but you know, whatever you're not you're not out of line for a suggestion that people should behave like humans to other humans. Yes. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> All right, um, well so I mean mine's mine's a much smaller scale. Um uh but it's just it's just Mike Vrabel's secrecy. Like uh, the whole The the whole defensive coordinator thing, it didn't irritate me at first, but it's so weird now because they've gotten to the point where they're saying, well, uh, Shane Bowen will call the plays. Like if I'm not around, he'll be the one that calls the plays. And it's like, so would you say when you're not around your defensive coordinator? No, I think (laughs) I'm just more of an extension of uh, Mike. And, And it's like, okay, well, would you, it's like, so you call the plays You coordinate the defense when the head coach isn't around. What would you call yourself? Like, and, you know, he gets asked questions like that and he kind of draws up and changes the subject or pushes it to something else. But it's like, just be transparent in that part of it. Like, I understand it's so that Mike Vrabel can lean over and shield him from blame if something bad happens or whatever. But isn't the whole New England mantra to do your job like isn't that what this team is sort of built on is like the fundamentals of that franchise and that dynasty is people do their jobs everybody's held accountable it doesn't matter what your name rank you know accrued years any of that like if you're the defensive coordinator your job is defense and you need to be able to trust that the head coach will say no I called that play that didn't work or he'll shut up if there's a good play that he called and He'll assume you're going to take, you know, take the credit and push it back to him. Like, that's the way this that that franchise in New England has always worked. It's never been, you know, now he calls his son the defensive play caller, but he does not give him the defensive coordinator title or whatever, because he's This this is Belichick. Sorry if I wasn't specific. Yeah, but he gives him a positional coach title because that's what he is. But he still, I mean, he still says that this is the defensive coordinator, and he, you know, you would understand that that's the guy who designs the defenses, and then this is the guy who calls the plays out of that. At the very least, you have some sort of title that you understand. Like this is like we like if you go look up who the Titans defensive coordinator is, it just just says open, like there is no <laughs> name there. So it's like. At the very least, right. just say that you're the play caller. I think like, you nailed I, I it, with the, it
2: with the word secrecy, because I think they probably do have that understanding. I just think they don't want us to have that understanding for some reason. And like I talked about last week, like two, two of the greatest enemies in this world are Mike Vrabel and convention. He hates it for some reason. And Nate, just naming a defensive coordinator, whether it's you or whether it's your position coach, that's still going to be a position coach, but also call the plays. Uh, he, he, for whatever reason, it's too conventional for him. At least that, that's my opinion. That's not necessarily a fact, but it's, it's weird. I like, I don't understand why or why he can't even say, and I don't think it matters. Like I wrote, I wrote a column, I think a month ago that it doesn't really matter. Cause they're going to know who's calling the plays. Uh, but I just think it's strange.
4: The, I mean the same thing happened. Well, not the same thing, but something similar was when Rabel's tenure start tenure started with the injuries. He was so secretive. He still is. But that really bothered me because there was legitimately no reason like to be so secretive about it during camp. Because no one is gaining like a competitive competitive advantage about it I mean, that, and it like, just seemed like he
2: didn't want people to know anything like the, that's so. the thing is Vrabel always says he doesn't like giving timetables because he thinks it's unfair to the player which I think it has some merit to it he doesn't want you know because if you give if you say the guy's going to be out for three weeks if he comes back after two weeks you rushed him back if he comes back after four he's behind schedule so it's kind of lose-lose but I don't understand why he can't even be like during training camp like he hurt his left foot I'm not going to give you a timetable. It's a left foot injury. Uh, you'll you'll know more when you can talk to him when he gets back on the field. Like, But he won't even go there sometimes.
3: Yeah, the, the last thing I'll say about it is this. To me, it's like anytime he's asked that question, it's like if, somebody, if you're around somebody who always wears a hat and they're like, hey, don't ask me what's under my hat, and then they just leave it, and you're like, well, okay, I wasn't thinking about that, but now that you've Made it so abundantly clear that you're not Like you're not going to tell me what's under your hat yeah, I want to yeah. know and then it's like every time you ask It's like hi you know just whatever is Normally under the hat and you're like well that Doesn't answer me at all and so It's just like this rounded like you're feeding Into this question being asked and I Don't I don't understand I, I hate It
2: <laughs> Agreed
3: it's going to do it for us this
2: week We'll be back next week to Preview practice because we'll be Just a couple of days away from practice when we come Back next week so thank you all for listening. from Matisse and Will, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense.
1: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.